0: You can be turning to Romans 11 and 33. We'll title this message today "The Riches of the Unseen Hand." The riches of the unseen hand. Open your Bibles, your pew Bibles, please, and look at Romans 11:33. If you don't have your Bible with you, we just went through Romans. Uh, I'm sorry, the London Baptist Confession, Chapter One, this week. And chapter 1 is on what? The Word of God. There's a reason why the London Confession begins with the Word of God. It's because we believe that as we read this Word, when you read it, whenever I read it, when we're in the pulpit, it's as if these words are proceeding from the very mouth of God. So I'd encourage you, when you're in this place, it's easy. I know how easy it is for our minds to be distracted. I encourage you, if you've not got your hands full of kids, to open a Bible and look at the words. And by the way, I love the sound of kids in the congregation. It's the sound of life. So you mothers, never be worried about that. Paul has been going through chapters 9, 10, and 11 and teaching us about what God is doing in history, teaching us about God's absolute sovereign power and control as the author of salvation and as the judge of all the earth. In chapter 11, he's been telling us what he's doing with Israel. And we see that last time we went through and saw how this is being fulfilled in our day to day. And he comes to this verse here after contemplating all that God has been doing in history. And he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Paul breaks out in worship after considering the goodness and the severity of God as seen in history. He breaks out in praise. So I would have you to keep those words there in front of you. In Romans 11 and 33, you look at those words as, I'm going to be going to various texts today, but just keep that verse in front of you today and let the Spirit bless you with these great, the great wonder, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. Let us pray and then we'll begin. Father, I just thank You, Lord, this day for Your mercies. I'm so grateful that You speak to us. You're still speaking to us today. You're still telling us the glorious, wonderful truth about our dear Savior, Jesus Christ, and the world to come, the exceeding riches of His glory to be displayed forever and ever. I pray, Lord, that You would bless us today to see the riches of Your unseen hand as You are guiding history toward its close. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. What if there was a way to know that the long history of humanity is not random or accidental? If you could see evidence that things going on in the world today were foretold 3,500 years ago, and even further back than that, and that the one who foretold all of these things is still managing the affairs of history. Would that give you comfort? In a comfort that a world that appears to have gone mad? It gives me comfort to know that. And this mighty king who has told us these things, and had men record these truths, the prophets of old, and has preserved this word for us today. It will encourage you to know that He has granted mercy to those who will reconcile with this King before He comes in that final day of history. Not all of history is foretold in this book, but the history, the inspired history of God's people is foretold in such a way with such overwhelming evidence even in 2022 that there's no question whatsoever that this Lord is still in control the unseen hand, the riches of the unseen hand is still guiding history from 1451 B.C. in Deuteronomy to 30 A.D. Jesus spoke a parable in Matthew 21 to 2022 A.D. History is proceeding according to God's plan. Daniel said this really when he spoke in 435 and said all the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth and no one can stop him or stay his hand or say to him what do you think you're doing? In Romans 9-11, through 11, this Holy Spirit has been teaching us about this power of God over all things. And your responsibility to listen to Him and obey Him. Those who are in Christ believe and obey and receive mercy. And those who are not in Christ receive severity and judgment. And it's no accident, I believe, that you are here today in this room to hear these wonderful words that God has For us. Jesus said in John three eighteen, He that believes on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Do you see that message there of belief and unbelief is taught throughout the Bible and the scriptures that I want to show you today? Your loving Father wants you to know what He is doing in history, so you will be encouraged, O believer, O child of God, and not be distressed by what you read in the paper. There will be wars and rumors of wars until Christ comes back and puts an end to it all. Everything is proceeding according to God's plan, according to the unseen hand. And that is what causes Paul to marvel in Romans 11.33 and say, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. God is ruling and reigning over a trillion human decisions that will take place today to bring forth His plan and His end. I spoke to you last time and I told you that your time is now, Gentiles. The door of the Gentiles was open in 70 A.D. It was closed to the Jews, mostly. And it has been open now for 2,000 years. The gospel has gone forth to the Gentiles. And it's been a great success. And the greatest scholarship in the world related to the Christian religion has come from Gentiles. And we're so grateful that we live at this time. We have access to all of those treasures of what God has been teaching people throughout Thousands of years of history. And it's also a greater responsibility for us who live now that we have access to such treasures that Jesus has taught His servants through the day, through the days and that we have access through books and now tapes and audio tapes and online that we can hear about our glorious Savior. That's a great mercy for us, isn't it? But there's going to come a day when that door may be closed again to Gentile nations. We know that in Isaiah 60 it says this, For the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. We've had a plea in prayer this morning that God would have mercy on the United States and that He would turn it again towards Him. If not, this nation will be utterly wasted as multitudes of nations throughout history have been, because they would not serve Him. Israel was the chosen nation, the chosen people, who throughout history has been blessed by God. How were they blessed? Well, Paul told us in Romans 3, if you all remember a few years ago we were in Romans 3, and uh, he said, what's the advantage of being a Jew then? And he says, or what profit is there of circumcision, which it means to say, what profit is there of religion? And he says, much everywhere, chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God. Which is to say the word of God. A direct communication from heaven to humanity. What is under the most attack in the world today? That should give people evidence above all things that this word is true. Is That it's under attack. In the science community, in the community of psychology, in the community of philosophy, in the highest places of leadership in this country, this word is under attack. And we have this direct communication from God, the oracles of God, and, and God's people were blessed with that back in history. And, and today what I'd like you to see as I go through this, And once again, I always tell y'all, you know, this made sense to me this week. I hope it makes sense to you today. I think that it will. I want you to see that the current state of Jews today was foretold in Deuteronomy 3,500 years ago, in 1451 A.D. about. And then if you jump forward to 29 A.D., like 1,500 years, you see that Jesus Christ taught the same thing that Paul's teaching in Romans 11. And then you'll understand, I hope you'll see, why Paul's reacting the way he does in Romans 11.33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God who's brought about this history. who's telling us now, uh, 3,700 years ago, what would happen in 70 A.D. And even what's going to happen in the future related to Israel. It's a great, great joy for us to see that by the faith, by the spirit of god to understand this so that the main thing i would have you see today is that when you can see and understand that yahweh is in complete control this unseen hand over history you will cry out and praise like paul did in verse 11 you will worship him you will marvel at him so today let's begin Three things I want to do. I want to go back to Deuteronomy and show you in 1450 A.D. that the same thing that is happening in the world today was foretold back in Deuteronomy. And then I want to take you to a parable in Matthew 21 and show you that Jesus taught that very thing about 40 years before it happened in 70 A.D., the scattering of the Jews. And then along the way, I'm going to be talking, what does that mean for you today? as we go through these texts. So if we go back to the very beginning of Deuteronomy, and this is why I would encourage you to read the Bible. So I'm studying Romans 11, and I'm also reading my Bible through again this year, following the Bible reading plan that I have. And I start reading in Deuteronomy, and I'm seeing the same principles that I've been studying in the New Testament. And that'll that'll make your heart rejoice. To have a goal to read the Bible all the way through every year. I don't know anything that's going to protect you for the onslaught of the enemy in your life. Nothing that will preserve your marriages more and your families and help you to understand what's going on in the world today than be saturated with Bible. In Deuteronomy, Moses is beginning there and he's rehearsing the history of what God has been doing As they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. In Deuteronomy 1 8, he said, Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them and to their seed after them. He states the promise I have set the land before you. And then he gives them a command Go in and possess it. It's been promised. For generations this has been promised to you. But what did they do? Well, they went in and they saw, yeah, it's a good land and all, but they wouldn't go in. They disobeyed Him. And in verse 26 there in the first chapter of Deuteronomy, it says, Notwithstanding, you would not go up, but you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. And a couple of verses down in verse 29, he says, Then I said unto you, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God will go before you. He shall fight for you according to all that He did for you in Egypt and before your eyes. And then in verse 32, Yet in this thing you did not believe the Lord your God. He said, I'll be with you. Be courageous. Remember everything I did in Egypt? Look back at your history and see how God is working And then you'll understand how I'm working in your life now and that I'll continue to work in your life. That's what He wants you to see in these texts. God has been working this unseen hand through all of history and you can be encouraged. But they did not believe the Lord your God. And so the Lord was angry with them and He said that all of those unbelievers would have to wander for 40 years in the desert and they would not see the land of promise. And they would not see it. And all of that is teaching us about belief and unbelief. And so, in Deuteronomy 4, a couple of chapters later, in four twenty-five and 27, we have... This prophecy that was prophesied on Israel 1,500 years before the coming of Christ. In verse 26, Deuteronomy four twenty-six, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you shall soon utterly perish from off the land wherein you go over Jordan to possess it. You shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed." And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and you shall be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord shall lead you. And why did that happen? Because of unbelief. You see, that's a whole parable in Deuteronomy. You're wandering in the wilderness of sin. And for all of those who trust God and believe, He's providing for all your needs. Manna from heaven. Christ has been provided for you. And it takes faith to cross over that Jordan to enter into the land of promise. Without faith, you will not cross over. That's taught to us in Hebrews. The writer in Hebrews in the New Testament goes back and look at that history and he exposits that for us and explains it In uh, Hebrews 3.12, he said, "...take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God." So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief in verse 19. So the whole reason why they didn't enter into the promised land was because of unbelief. And there are consequences for your choices. These consequences are put before us in sacred history so that we would read that and learn and be warned. Faith is essential to entering into the promised land. And the Father wants you to know what He's doing in history. He wants you to see the goodness and the severity of consequences. Belief and faith leads to choosing and going in a different way than you did before. And all of those consequences of the unbelief, the ten times they complained and murmured, eventually would lead to them murdering prophets and killing God-sent messengers and them being destroyed in 70 A.D. and scattered throughout the globe, just like that text in Deuteronomy says. So your loving Father wants you to know what He's doing in history. He's recorded this for you in Deuteronomy, so that you might understand that what has happened in the world today was foretold a long time ago. Doesn't that give you encouragement to know that? You know, I I, I can't help but remember the first time that there was a TV show put on about Nostradamus. I don't know if y'all have ever heard about Nostradamus and. There was this whole thing about all these prophecies of Nostradamus and how they've come true and big TV show and everything made about it. But, you know, he was wrong more than he was right, which according to the Bible would have been called a false prophet and would have been stoned in the Old Testament. Isn't it amazing how the world would get excited about somebody like Nostradamus but not get excited about a book that has perfectly foretold the events of history related to Israel? So let's flash forward to 30 A.D. 1,500 years later, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has come according to promise. And Jesus is teaching the same thing about belief and unbelief. About God sending you precious promises of hope and salvation and of many that rejected it. Some of the saddest texts that you read in the New Testament is where it says, And some believed, and some believed not, even while He was standing right in front of them. So let's turn to Matthew 21, and let's see how Jesus taught this here. 21, 33 through 46, Jesus is teaching a parable here. So just to give the background, this is after the triumphal entry, Jesus has entered into Jerusalem and now He is teaching some of the last things He would teach here in Matthew publicly, the public teaching, and He's given these parables and of course the Pharisees, the religious leaders are contending with Him and He teaches this parable of the vineyard. So Verse 33, Matthew 21. Hear another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a winepress in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another again he sent other servants more than the first and they did unto them the same but last of all he sent unto them his son saying they will reverence my son but when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard comes, what will he do unto these husbandmen, these farmers, these vine dressers? What will he do? Who's Jesus speaking to here? These men. These Jews. Listen to their answer. They said unto Him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out His vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render Him the fruits in their seasons. They spoke that on their own heads. They spoke that on their own head in this parable here. And again, Jesus is teaching about belief and unbelief. This parable is first recorded in Isaiah 5. So God, Jesus, has already communicated this to the prophet Isaiah who recorded this parable in Isaiah 5 and He expands on it a little bit and He's applying it directly to these religious leaders. Isn't it sad that Religious leaders of so-called religious institutions many times are the most wicked. So he says here in verse 33, let's walk through this parable and see what Jesus is teaching us about what was going to happen in a short time there to the Jews and how this applies to them. But more importantly... What do we need to learn from this parable about ourselves? Because you see, that vineyard, he says right there, will be taken away from them and given to others. It was given to you. You are now the vine dressers of this kingdom of God. And we have a responsibility, and, and let's look at this and see what we need to learn from this parable so that we will be faithful farmers in the kingdom of God. So God is the householder. He says, hear another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. So, God is the householder. The vineyard is said to be the house of Israel, if you look back in Isaiah 5. He has protected it and provided for its fruits. They would often plant cactus around their vineyards to keep out animals and thieves. So, everything's been provided for. A wine press has been dug, He's built a tower for protection. And he's let this out to husbandmen and he goes into a far country. He's given this responsibility of the kingdom of God to Israel, particularly the religious leaders, the leaders of that day. Today, your hedge of protection is the Bible and your family, the institution of the family is your protection. The church is your protection. The Word of God in Christian fellowship is your hedge. As we come to this place and we receive the Word of God and we love each other and we admonish one another in the, the great songs that we have sang this day, all of that song and singing is pouring into our souls. Doctrine and edification and building us up. That is your protection. That is your hedge. And this wine press that has been dug here, is the trials of your life. Whatever comes out of the wine press, what's coming out of your life, out of the wine press of your life? We talk about God's unseen hand in every detail, every decision, guarding, guiding all the way. Is vinegar coming out of your life or sweetness? We all have trials that we go through. And that's where you see whether it's a state of grace or not in a person. Remember the parable of the sower? When the cares of this life and afflictions come, that's when people go away. That's when people fall away. You're all gardeners that are to be tending this vine. You have responsibility in this vine here. Every soul in here is a precious, image-bearing creature with an eternal soul for you to pray for, to love, to consider, and how you can help help them. You're all, all gardeners of this vine. It says in verse 34, And when the time of the fruit drew near, He sent His servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. Where there is word given and this truth is preached, there is an expectation of fruit in worship and good works. God is a gracious, merciful, long-suffering judge. And every day He's judging the world in righteousness. Which means that All of the fruit that's being born out of our life and our choices and our decisions. He's paying attention to that fruit. For those that are in Christ, they will bring forth fruit. When you're in Christ and born again of the Spirit and you have the Holy Spirit there, those fruits in Galatians 5 will be present in your life. Just one degree or another. It won't be perfect. Time to time, the old nature will still break out. But... It will become more and more rare the older you get as you grow in grace and holiness. The time of the fruit draws near. Right now in this room, the Lord is looking for fruit. What is the fruit that's coming out of your life? Is it obedience to the Word? What is your heart bringing forth right now? Is your mind engaged in the Word right now? Do you have a longing for this place to come here and to hear the Spirit speak to your soul? Is your heart burning for love for Christ? Do you all remember the walk to Emmaus after Christ's resurrection? Jesus shows up after his He has been murdered and after His resurrection, and He's walking with two disciples. And... He asked them questions. Remember, kids, your book, Tactics? Asking, Jesus asked them questions. And at, at the end of that story, He disappears and they realize who it is. And what did they say? Did not our hearts burn within us when He was speaking? That still happens today when the Spirit comes and is teaching you the things of Christ. Does your heart burn within you as you hear these words of his. The time of fruit bearing is now in this room. Hebrews thirteen, fifteen, let me give you one of the fruits. By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. That's not hard, is it? from a heart overflowing with this love of the Holy Spirit, it will come out of our mouth. It will come out of our life. When we meet people who are trapped in sin, we will speak gracious words to them. We'll be kind and compassionate knowing from what we have been delivered. The sacrifice of praise to God continually. What a glorious time! to be in Georgia in the springtime. I took a chair and sat out there this morning for a few minutes and listened to the birds singing His praise. You know how loud the birds get in springtime? I mean, they turn it up a whole nother level of singing out there. And what are they saying? What is spring preaching to the world? Resurrection! Resurrection! Resurrection from the dead! Life is springing forth. That this whole season is teaching us. There's going to come a day when the dead and the graves out there are going to rise again. There's going to, and then there will be an eternal spring. But for now, we're in the wine press, and He's promised and encouraged us just like He did Israel in Deuteronomy: "Be of good courage, go into the land, fight the giants. You will succeed." But he sends these servants, which are the prophets, to the husbandmen, to the farmers. And in verse thirty five it says, And the husband took his servants, beat one, killed another, stoned another, and again he sent his servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. You see the long suffering of God? For thousands of years God has been sending prophets to this planet with a message directly from the realm of heaven saying, I am! I exist! And I sent my Son into the world to save sinners. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here now in 2022. And He sent those prophets and Israel, His chosen nation, killed them, murdered them. Instead of bringing forth fruit that showed true repentance and faith, they rejected the message and killed the prophets. Wherefore, Jesus says in Matthew 23, 31, Wherefore, you be witnesses unto yourselves that you are the children of them which killed the prophets. And later in verse 37 of Matthew 23, Jesus would say, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that kill the prophets and stone them which are sent to you, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and you would not, you would not. A hardened will against God Almighty will never succeed. And this time of destruction was upon them, In 30 A.D., which would occur 40 years later, because they had not believed the word sent to them for thousands of years, they didn't believe. Some did. We know there was a remnant according to the election of grace. He taught earlier in chapter 11. That's taught throughout the scriptures. always a remnant of believers that God reserves to Himself. And we see here that God sent them again and again and again, and He was long-suffering, Long-suffering, and they sent more and more. And so we have to look at this and say, you know, they didn't receive that Word the right way. How are you receiving the Word today? The reason why I was deliberate to say, please open your Bibles and look at the Word, when the Word is being read in this congregation during the message... I think it will help if you have your Bible open and you're looking at the words. Because if you can use more of your senses than just your ears, you're going to get more out of it. Are we taking every opportunity? It says that Samuel was such a great prophet in the Old Testament that he let none of God's words fall to the ground. Are you like that? I talked about how it's sad to see that some of the most wicked of all are the ones who lead in so-called religious institutions. Today, God's Word is under assault. You know who mainly? From churches and organizations that call themselves Christian are denying key parts of God's Word about holiness and purity and sexuality. And and the madness is that If you follow this Word, you'll be the most happy. You'll be the most fulfilled. You were designed. These are your specifications. This is what will fulfill you the most. And the world is screaming a thousand other messages at you every day. What a day we live in when the enemy has such an avenue into your mind and heart. That's why you must be on your guard so that you're not like these farmers and reject the Word. So how are you doing with the Word in your life? Again, I just say to you, this Word is God-breathed, 2 Timothy three sixteen 16 and 17. God-breathed means that when you read this Word, It's as if God were speaking to you. What will you do with that? What will you do with that? You know, these husbandmen were in there, and over in the Isaiah parable in 5, it said, but they didn't bring forth sweet grapes, they brought forth wild grapes. So there's fruit being born, it's just not the right fruit. To bring forth the ripe right fruit is to be living in repentance and faith in union with Christ. They're sending the Word and they're being killed. I looked up on U.S. Open Doors USA this week. In 2021, now these are husbandmen, these are farmers that God has sent out into the world to take this Word of Truth. In 2021, there were 400 Christians killed a month. Now, that's just the ones they know of. I don't think in North Korea that that dictator over there is sending out a report every day saying, oh, we killed this many Christians this month, or in Iran, or in the Horn of Africa. You see, that's the reality of first century Christianity, what I just said to you. 400 Christians are being killed a month. Here, we're just entertained to death. It's kind of bizarre, isn't it? The difference. And yet you've been called to serve here and to fight this battle in this country and this culture. And you have great privileges, so let us be faithful. And then it says in verse 37, But last of all he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. And then when the farmer saw that, They said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and let us seize his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. Last of all, after 4,000 years of human history, the promise in Genesis 3 where it said that Eve would have a child that would crush the serpent was fulfilled and that Messiah came. His only begotten Son, the King of Glory, he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was tempted in all points just like you are. That He might be compassionate and understanding of everything you're going through in your wine press of life. And this word came and they did not reverence Him. There's a couple of things that that stick out to me as I read these two verses here, 37 and 38. They actually think among themselves that they can kill God, the heir, the son of God, and that they can take his inheritance. Isn't that madness? Isn't that the same madness that's upon the world today? They think the meek shall inherit the earth. That's already been stated. Can't change that fact. That reality. This also demonstrates what we call the doctrine of total depravity. There is nothing more dark or evil than the human heart that is not enlightened by grace. And the links that it will go to to deny the Word, to deny God, it will do everything it can to kill God so that I can be God. And that nature is in you. Believers still, there is still the part of us that wants to be God. That wants the world to revolve around me. And that's why, you know, Christian parents, we have to teach... When you see that in your kids coming out. You know, they're born with that. You don't have to teach them that. And we have to teach them and train them and show them. 4,000 years, they had been preached to, they had killed the prophets, God sends His Son... And they kill him, believing a lie that they could be God. And God casts them out. He says the same thing in Luke 19, 14. Christ says, but his citizens hated him. His citizens hated him. And sent a message after him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. We have that seed in us. We'll not have this man to reign over us. And yet there's nothing sweeter than to come to the moment of surrender and realise, you know, as I've been in control of my life, <laughs> it hadn't been working out too well. Seems like I kind of make a mess everywhere I go. He brings you to the point where you can say, Not my will, but thine. With our Savior in the garden, as He said, not my will, but thine be done. When you come to that moment of surrender, that sweet place of understanding who He is and who you are, what joy is there? What joy is there to be reunited with the lover of our souls? But there's also those and Jesus saw this better than, we can't really see this the way He did, but in John eight forty four, Jesus speaking to the same Pharisees that He's teaching this parable to says this, You are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. He said that to the religious leaders of the Jews. Your father is Satan. What do we learn from that? They're still in the world today. There are some who are the children of God and some who are the children of the devil. And all of those whom God loved and foreloved will be called out of the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of light. And so we just see what's going on in history from Deuteronomy all the way through the Old Testament to this day in Matthew, that that sin that was unleashed in the world from the very beginning by our first parents continues. It continues. And God is working and He's overruling that for the chief end of all things, which is His glory and that you might see it and savor it forever and ever. They pierced Jesus. They cast Him out and killed Him. In Psalms 22.16, it says, For dogs have come past me... The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. It was foretold in Psalms 22 by David that Jesus Christ would be pierced in His hands and His feet. And that was fulfilled. And John says that in John 19.37. He says, They shall look on Him whom they have pierced. And we see that God... I don't know how He does it. God takes these awful, ugly things like the murder of the Messiah and He overrules it for good. How He does that, I have no idea. I don't know how God can do that. He does it in such a way that He's not the author of sin. He overruled the sin of Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery. First they wanted to murder him, then He overruled that so they would sell him. And he went ahead. Joseph saw it later in his life. God sent me here. He says that, God sent me here. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. What? God meant what for good? God meant evil for good. How does He do that? I don't know. But I'm telling you, if you will come to trust in this God of history, in this unseen hand, you will come to understand that evil, when it comes forth in sin against you, in your life, or in the world, you can understand that God will overrule that for your good believer. This unseen hand. Jesus goes on after He finished this and He puts this question to them and they say He's going to destroy them. Jesus follows up here and says in verse 42 back in Matthew 21 and 42, so Jesus says to them after they've said, God's going to destroy those farmers. and Give it to somebody else. That will bring forth the fruit. He says, did you never read in the Scriptures? That must have been irritating to those Pharisees who thought they knew the Bible better than anybody. Did you never read the Scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus is quoting from Psalms 118.22. Jesus, the Messiah, is saying, I believe that Psalms is inspired word of God when he quotes from it. Paul has taught this in Romans 9:33 that we've just gone over recently. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone of the spiritual kingdom of God. That stone must have been laid in his own blood so that you could be built into a spiritual temple of worshiping believers which is taught in Ephesians 3, built up upon that chief cornerstone. Did you never read the Scriptures? He's saying this to them. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And the king is there telling them this. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall it will grind him to powder. That's a terrifying statement, isn't it? All of those who fall on Christ in complete surrender trusting Him shall be broken. But if that stone falls on you, It will grind you to powder. So kiss the Son. Reconcile to Him before He comes. And so they know that He's speaking about them. So from Deuteronomy, 1,500 years before Christ, to Christ 2,000 years ago, to today, Paul is teaching in Romans 11 the same thing that has been taught throughout history. That there would come a day that God would cut off Israel and scatter them but it also says as I showed you last time he's going to gather them back last time I told you that 42% of all Jews now live in Israel and there's been a mass migration back there they were reestablished as a state in 47 and as Lee pointed out to me last time I didn't mention last time God promised that land that land to Abraham and they're back how do you explain that apart from this being true There's no nation that that has ever happened in before. This God of eternity, who's so far above us we can't imagine Him, says in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like Me declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. And this loving Father has told you again in this room today the same thing. I got it. I've been telling you all along what's happening. And all of this is for the ultimate end of history, which is in Ephesians 2, 7, and 8, which we went through that last chapter on meek and lowly that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus so listen to his promises pay attention to his word and what it says about the state of sin and grace in Christ these riches of grace you can taste now god is revealing himself through nature in the spring is such a wonderful time to go sit out and meditate go outside This week, sit outside, meditate on it. You see, God's glory is shining through the creation. And there's a pleasure of sitting there and hearing the birds sing and seeing everything bloom. It's all a testimony of God preaching, I exist. And then you go to this word and this gives you the specifics. That is one revelation of God. This is the revelation that's necessary for salvation. Understand that this God is a God of mercy and patience and long-suffering, and you can taste that now. All of the world is being told a lie that they can find pleasure in 70 years of life, and then it's just over. Well, it's not. Let me tell you what the Word promises. You can taste pleasure now in Christ. You can get the appetizer Now, in your current state, in your fallen bodies, you just can't handle all the pleasure God wants you to have. You couldn't take it. But you can drink a little bit of that now. Through faith and grace and His Word, you can fight this good fight of faith. You can go in and possess the land and persevere in the land of sin. But let me tell you, one day in resurrection and new bodies, you're going to taste from the fountainhead of pleasure with a body that can take it then and enjoy it. You are in the vineyard, O oh believers. we just sang. O oh bliss of the purified, bliss of the pure. No wound hath the soul that his blood cannot cure. Do you have woundings in your life? All of us do. Sin is wounding. Sin is a sore that breaks out from time to time. It must be healed. But there is bliss in being purified by His blood. Whatever the trials you're going through, the weakness of your faith, whatever may be happening, whatever may have happened in the past, in the winepress of your life, let me just tell you, Jesus Christ trode in the winepress of God's wrath for all who repent and believe. He tread in that winepress. And so you can be encouraged. The winepress He went through is nothing like the one you'll have to go through. I don't care what you're going through in your life, it'll be nothing like He went through. So you can lay hold of Christ and know that whatever you're going through, He went through it. He can be with you in your trials and troubles. And He is with you in your troubles and trials, believer. May God bless His Word.